Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. We have a really special guest today, a third time guest on Reinventing Nerds, Franklin Taggart. Now, you know, one of the reasons he keeps getting asked back is because he's such an interesting person, does so many things. So first of all, Franklin is a coach who works with creative people and he generally works with people at every level of their business and sometimes even life. But one of the things I really love about Franklin is that he is on top of the latest developments in tech at all times. And AI is one of those recently then. And, you know, he did this really interesting experiment, you know, in being a creative. Uh, He wrote a book. He authored a book. I guess you'd say he's the author of the book called Straight from the Bot's Mouth, A Conversation with Chat GPT about Artificial Intelligence, which is hot off the press at Amazon. Now, we'll talk about if he's the author or the publisher or what what that really means. But first of all, let's welcome Franklin. Franklin, welcome back. Hey, Joni. It's great to be back. Always good to talk to you. Yeah, it really is. And this is just such an interesting topic that, I mean, we just have to have this conversation and, and it's so topical, uh, talking about AI and, and ChatGPT at all its various levels and renditions of it. But, uh, writing a book. Uh, so, okay. Well, I mean, I guess we have to start with what, what causes, I mean, you've told me and in the book, it says that it wasn't like your intention to go out and do this. So how did this happen? Uh, completely by accident. And I don't call myself an author with any real gravitas in that name. Mm-hmm. I, I I would, you know, I've, I've recoined the phrase bookmaker uh, mm. to mean something completely different than it traditionally means. <laughs> 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 but I, what I tell people is I made a book. Okay. You know, and chat GPT helped me. Um, but I really can't claim very much authorship here. Uh, the only thing that I had authorship of were the questions that I asked ChatGPT, mm-hmm. and the book itself is made up of my questions and ChatGPT's answers. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was it was a curiosity and it was an experiment on my part, and I didn't set out to make a book. I set out to just get my questions answered, and I'm I'm not necessarily an expert in tech or AI. I am just an enthusiast. Right. Um, I I love to see what's you know, what's possible and what things are happening. And um, this latest wave of artificial intelligence has really captured my attention um, and my imagination. Um, But I've, you know, I've been a fan of AI for years. I've used, uh, like for the last few years, I've used Grammarly to check my grammar and spelling. Mm -hmm. And I've used um, Otter to record or to transcribe my podcast. And I've done, you know, I've used AI in that way up until now. And I I was taking all of my transcripts from my podcast and kind of collecting them and, you know, editing and putting together ideas for books and things like that. So I've, I haven't been shied. I, I, I don't shy away from technology. I try to try to find the ways that I can benefit from it. 
exactly. Actually, I think that that that's a great point here is that you're not uh, necessarily the the person who is coding the tech, but you are like the first to implement anything new that comes out and or find ways to use it or if it is useful to you. And that's like yeah. you're the go to person in my book of like, hey, what do you think of this? How, you know, and and you're already out there like, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for years. It's great. The thing that's really hard right now is that there's just such a flood. Mm-hmm. And I can't keep up with it. Um, I actually kind of depend on another person, a guy named Matt Wolf. And he has a, a website called futuretools.io. And Matt really does keep track of the new things that are developing. And on a daily basis, he's updating what he knows. So I, I turn to him. So if you're really looking for an authority on the applications themselves, I think Matt's a good one to to talk to or to find. Yeah. Um, his YouTube channel is awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to jump around a bit because I think we're on this topic. And and one of the things that, that's so interesting about the AI is that, you know, everyone's like up in arms over, is it going to get rid of creatives and, and jobs and all this stuff? But yet here you are a creative and you're like relishing in it. You're using it. So Let's talk about that for a, just a couple of minutes. I mean, you, I mean, maybe we can ask the 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 bot, you know, like what it said <laughs> and all that. But I mean, I'm I'm curious about you as a human too, and somebody who's in this space. You know, what are some of the benefits that you see, and maybe some of the drawbacks or concerns that people in in the creative space, like musicians, artists, authors, might have? Well, the the, the first the first kind of hair raising on the back of my neck experience that I had uh, was last fall and 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 maybe into November and December mm-hmm. when the the app called Lenza was was just spreading like wildfire. I don't know if you remember Lenza but it's the one where you would upload a picture of yourself or right. more than one picture and then it would generate all of these really cool like illustrated avatars of you <laughs> or or photo quality art right. of you. And um, I heard about that and I, I looked at it and I thought, wow, that's really cool. And then I found out that they were kind of using other artists' work to to base their illustrations on. And mm-hmm. those other artists were not being acknowledged or paid. Right. And that was a that was an ethical concern right away for me because as a creator, I depend on intellectual property. Um, to pay the bills, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the things that I had to to start looking at is, are there ethical ways for this to be used to do similar things? Those were some of the questions mm-hmm. that I had. And at that time, I just started to kind of keep a, a notebook. I have, I have a Google Keep file of questions about AI. And it got up to around 30 or 35 questions. And I thought, maybe I just need to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. And then I got to thinking, well, it would take me a year or two years to mm-hmm. write that book. And by that time, these conversations are going to be old news and obsolete and nobody will care. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of put it aside and didn't think anything more about it. But I just kept adding to my list of questions as I as I went. Then about a month ago, I had this idea. Why don't I just go ahead and get on chat GPT and put my questions in and see what happens? Well, I was pleasantly surprised to find the answers that were given. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that it's interesting or entertaining reading or even enriching, but I do think that there is some value in the information that I gained. 
And it's it's also a way for people to experience chat GPT without actually getting on there themselves and, you know, going through all of the account setup and stuff like that. But what I found was that the answers to my questions were fairly well balanced. Like it did account for the positive benefits of AI in those situations, but it didn't shy away from the potential, you know, negative outcomes that could be associated with it. So for me, one of the big, one of the big questions has always been, you know, as AI replaces people in the workforce, um, there are some social, political, psychological implications there that aren't being talked about very much. Mm-hmm. And so I have a lot of concern for, you know, I work primarily with creative freelancers, authors, musicians, artists, uh, filmmakers, people who create content for consumption, right? It's mm-hmm. it's intended for an audience. And as, as I started to see what ChatGPT could do, I know that it's not to that same level yet, but it's not very far off. And the latest iteration, which is now a month after I sat down and right. did my thing, mm-hmm. the latest iteration is even more powerful um, in terms of its ability to correct itself and to edit and to, to um, the old version had this quality called hallucination where it would make up stuff. And the new version does that less and less and less, the more that it learns. So what's really funny, and I'll, I'll try to not ramble so much, but the thing that's really funny to me is like my first use of chat GPT was to write a sales page. Now I write sales pages all the time for people, for their products, for their websites, for their Shopify pages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The process of writing a sales page for me usually takes several hours. And one of the big parts of the sales page is developing a list of features, benefits, and kind of support, you know, supporting reasons for the product. I took those requests to chat GPT and within a matter of under 10 seconds, it had answered all three of those queries with viable lists. Mm -hmm. All I had to do was edit. It took less than 10 minutes to edit. And those, those lists were ready for the sales page. Doing those kinds of lists prior to this would take a few hours, right? hours that I can bill for. Mm -hmm. Right. And so immediately my thought was, okay, there goes the argument for the hourly wage. (laughs) (laughs) How in the world now can I can I charge for what I do now that it's been made easy? And how how soon before my customers discover that they can do it too? Right. Now what? Right. Right. So those kinds of questions are coming up. And I I they're legitimate questions. And the more that I've talked to some of my clients, they're asking the same things. Yeah. What's gonna happen when my skills are no longer necessary. Well, that's, those are great questions. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking and a lot of investigating and the, 
the experiment that turned into the book was really one of the first steps. Yeah. Well, let me tell you from reading your book and, and I have to say, uh, you diminish your, um, I guess you would say your role in authoring the book, but the questions I think are key to the success of the book. Um, and for people who are considering, uh, buying the book, I, I highly recommend it because, um, you have, I mean, you've been collecting these questions for a long time, right? So you know what to Mm -hmm. ask and they really take, take you through a good, uh, analysis of answering some of these questions that you just asked now. And, and I, I thought that, uh, I was actually relieved a bit once I read the book because a lot of these gloom and doom questions are out there like, oh, we're all going to lose our jobs. We're not going to get paid. And uh, I thought, like you said, that the chat GPT balanced the pros and cons and and uh, relieved my anxiety a little bit about uh, reducing or eliminating jobs. And and I guess the sense that I got, and I'm, I'm curious your reaction now, cause you're really in this business, but it was like, well, it can help with some of the, you would say maybe more tedious mundane parts of the job. It can, uh, increase efficiency there. But the thing that the chat GPT doesn't have as much of are the human qualities of, yeah. of, of people. Right. And, and the creativity that, that, only people can have through their lived experiences and also fine tuning things uh, and differentiating yourselves. And and those are the things that I think are the most interesting. So, you know, maybe some of just sort of the rote stuff is, is interesting or, or fun too, just to master the skill. But it would seem to me like using your creativity and being pulled in for that part and helping uh, your clients really distinguish themselves and, and come up with something a little more unique than getting the standard thing that I, AI would be giving to everyone would be yeah. uh, more interesting for you. And so I'm just sort of assuming this, but I want to get your reaction. So what do you think? Oh my gosh. There's so much to talk about there, Joni. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the thing that's really interesting that I see right now is we're a month later, GPT-4 has just been released this week. Yeah. It's only, it's not out to the widest group of people yet, and it's being rolled rolled out slowly mm-hmm. so that they can just work out the bugs and stuff. But Bing's, Bing Chat is the version that I have switched over to from ChatGPT. Mm-hmm. Now, Microsoft invested heavily in ChatGPT about a month ago, uh, putting $10 billion into the company. And so micro, Microsoft was really quick to integrate Chat into Bing which right. has made Bing infinitely much more useful than it once was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been using the Bing chat and it is, it is incorporating similar technology to what's in GPT-4. Um, it's available to a, a smaller group of people and there is a wait list to get Bing chat right now. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've noticed about Bing chat is that it has three different voices that you can choose from. You can have a creative voice, you can have an official voice, and then you can just have, uh, I don't know what it's called, it's, but it's its more like a, you know, it's just like a, an information voice or something like that, okay. right? And so you can choose the voice that it delivers with, right? The other thing that I found is that the technology is a mirror of what it's fed so if you're actually feeding it creative content, 
it can work with that in a creative way, but not not creative in the way that I would categorize human creativity. Mm-hmm. But it can it can mirror your creativity. So I've got several clients who are fiction authors, and they're using this thing in just miraculous ways. Um, like I have one author who wanted to change an entire passage of her book from third person to second person or third person to first person. And she, she put that information into chat GPT and it had that done in under a minute. Okay. All she had to go back in and do were some minor corrections and it was as she wanted it. Mm -hmm. So again, her creativity was mirrored by the technology. And so that's, that's kind of where I would look at with my book. It's like my questions were not very creative. They weren't, they were just pretty straightforward and informative. So the voice that I got back in the responses was very informative, right? You know, it's one, two, three, four, Mm -hmm. five, six, here you go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, But if I were to go there and, and be a little bit more, I don't know, colloquial in my questions, I would probably get more colloquial responses. And I've seen that in Bing for sure. Mm -hmm. Right. So the thing that's really interesting to me now is to see, and I've only played a little bit with, with the, the new Bing, which is the GPT four compatible um, software. It's, it's providing immediate references to blog posts and articles that it can find online to support its answer. Right. It's, it's giving live links. It's incorporating Bing search to give you live links to those places. And it, it now has some ability to test the information that it's giving mm-hmm. more so than chat GPT three did. So we don't have to spend as much time verifying. Okay. We don't have to spend as much time correcting it. Mm-hmm. It's like some of those things now are built into the technology. Well, that's a relief. It's crazy, right? Well, you yeah. did that experiment with your, you put your name in, right? Yeah. And it merged and me. With, uh, with and chat two or three other people. Oh, with one other person, but in Bing, it didn't. Yeah. It so didn't merge like, you with the other person. Right. Right. Very interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think we're, we're on the verge of an exciting time getting back mm-hmm. to how I feel about it as a tool. It's, it's very exciting especially for someone like me, I'm a solopreneur. I don't want to hire people. I don't want to manage a team. Um, I'm not interested in, you know, inter-office relationships at all. <laughs> having these That's resources, a whole other uh, question, but we won't yeah. go there. Yeah. <laughs> having these resources at my fingertips is a real, it's a benefit to me. I'm not going to lie about it. Yeah. And Ultimately, my business model is already changing to adapt to this because Mm -hmm. it has to. And that's really what I've been working a lot on with my clients is Mm. how do we shift your business model so that it can be more fluid and flexible and responsive to the marketplace as this technology is introduced? Because I really feel like we we can't make a three-year plan to save our lives now. Right. You know. three-day plan <laughs> well it, 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 a three-month plan might be i know i know I'm joking. might be uh, actually <laughs> mm-hmm. viable but beyond that the business models are probably going to have to be able to shift fairly immediately to respond to new changes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so this makes a lot of sense just to sort of uh, summarize a little bit that you're saying that AI is actually a fantastic tool for creative people mm-hmm. used in a way that that benefits them. At the same time, creatives are really need to adjust to offering a different business model given the accessibility of these tools to the general public. Yeah, and it's yeah. not just creatives who are going to have to adjust. It's, right, okay. It's every, every industry is mm-hmm. being affected, affected by this. And primarily, you know, the industry that is already reeling from it, the tech industry. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, look at the number of layoffs that have happened in recent weeks. It's yeah. just insane. Well, I can't say that all of that is on the shoulders of AI, mm-hmm. but I, I would be willing to bet that a number of the line level coders that are out there are, are at risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to, they're going to have to develop a new direction for themselves um, because those skills now have been made, um, made redundant. Yeah. I think that's been happening a lot for a long time in tech, especially in coding. I mean, you can just pluck off whole algorithms or, you know, things off the net, you know, to, to plug in, right. As opposed to developing those or coding those on your own and, uh, plugging in the right ones and figuring out how to use them is more of uh, the the current way of of coding than rather than uh, from scratch as much. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, AI know. will affect that even more. I don't know if you've heard, but um, Chat GPT four passed the bar exam uh, in the top ten percent. <laughs> I did read that. That's just insane, right? But mm. it tells you again. How is education going to have to adapt and integrate this? It, it's like it can't it can't lock it out because it's here. Yeah. And our old way of being educated and our old way of learning and our old way of, you know, of becoming proficient at something is now radically changed. Now what? Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess what distinguishes us, I mean, I, you, you talk about this and you ask some of these questions about sort of the existential reality of humans once chat GPT comes or, and Bing and other AI, uh, has more and more capability. Um, and in fact, like you even raise the idea of a great depression, you know, of, of, I, of, hate, among I hate to think about that, but I, I, I wonder about it frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that comes up though is uh, a bit of that crisis, and I and I love the responses from the AI as well. That like, yeah, this this is a concern, but there are other things too that might be a phase that we go through. You know, I yeah. mean, we'll get through it. Uh, psychology would say that we get through these things. It won't be like we're lost forever. But um, I think the other factor is the control piece, right? I mean, who has control over all of the, the technology and where it's going? And and um, you mentioned this this concern about others, like even maybe solopreneurs feeling a powerlessness. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Well, I think that that's, that's something that I'm addressing more and more frequently right mm-hmm. now is that they feel like that they don't have any they don't have any, you know, way to, to push back here. Right. They, they don't, they don't have any representation. They don't have any, there is no safety net. 
And for solopreneurs, that's kind of always been the case, but now it's probably a higher risk than it's ever been. Um, because it, you know, in the past, our competition was each other. <laughs> <laughs> right. Now yeah. our competition is uh, a machine that actually doesn't have to be paid and it doesn't require benefits and it doesn't have to feed itself. And it's like, um, can do things in like uh, logarithmic amounts of times, exponential amounts of times that the people can do things. Yeah. And it's always learning. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's becoming more efficient the longer that it is programmed to, to, to learn itself. So those are some things to think about. I think the, some of the questions that I had had to do with, um, if, if we're removing a large percentage of our labor force, like let's say mm -hmm. some of the conservative numbers that have been put out there for AI replacing human labor somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 to 36%, right? Now let's say that we've got over the next 10 years that 35% of our labor force is replaced by machines or right. by computers or mm -hmm. technology. Where do those 35% go? Now, just in the U.S. itself, we're talking about between 80 and 100 million people, mm -hmm. right? So what we would be looking at is unemployment at depression level highs, right? right. And we wouldn't have... The thing that was really interesting about the Great Depression is that a big part of it was based on the fact that there was a, a horrible drought and a big part of the workforce was agricultural at the time. Right. At that time, the agricultural workforce could be retrained over a period of time mm -hmm. to go into the industrial world and do things like that. So the recovery from the depression between the government supplied jobs and the new opportunities in industrial areas gave it about... A, an 11-year recovery period, mm -hmm. right? Well, what we're talking about here is 35% of the workforce who is replaced and doesn't have a, a retrainable or government-provided new option. Now what? <laughs> okay, so we better start thinking, anticipating this and uh, figuring this out. And yeah. I mean, I guess it also is like how quickly are companies adopting the technology uh, and and taking advantage of it? And there are other issues there, like why people are uh, not necessarily doing everything as as rapidly, like security, all sorts of stuff like that. But yeah. um, but how do we deal with that human factor of uh, uh, shifting people into different types of jobs um, and and dealing with uh, the redundancy effect that, that the technology will take over. I mean, we've dealt with this in the past, like you said, but how yeah. do we react quickly to it? Um, yeah, some big Lots issues. Lots of questions, right? Right, right. And, you know, again, you asked some of this a little bit. You touched on this in the book and asked yeah. the uh, the chat, uh, the chat GPT for some answers. And I was a bit relieved at some of the, the suggestions that were there from the AI of how things will happen. I mean, obviously there are concerns, but yet uh, I'm not going to give the whole book away because I think yeah. people should read it. But I think that in the end, I felt a bit relieved that it's, it doesn't have to be catastrophic what's going on here. 
Um, yeah. I don't know. Did you, and in terms of the emotional reaction to your, the book, you know, and, and when you finished going through those questions, how did you feel? Yeah. Well, I actually, I felt some relief at the, mm-hmm. at the end of the experiment yeah. because it wasn't all doom and gloom and it right. wasn't all dystopian, you know, mm-hmm. um, there was a pretty good balance between, well, here's what we can expect. Here's what we can anticipate. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we've got to keep remembering is that we are an evolving species right. and this really just is just another stage of evolution. Our technology has evolved with us. Um, you know, and now it may be evolving ahead of us, um, which in some ways is kind of scary. And especially However, if you're a good consumer of um, <laughs> sci-fi, like the two of us, right? Totally you're like, oh, right. yeah, we've already seen what happens in fiction. <laughs> okay. The potential, I think, is just amazing. The, 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 the potential that it brings us in terms of quality of life enhancement, mm-hmm. I think, is fascinating. And it's very exciting, if you ask me. It's mm-hmm. like... Some of the media possibilities are just, they're, they're beyond what we can conceive of right now, but even our early concepts of them are very exciting. However, there's a middle period, I think, and that middle period is the one that I'm kind of concerned about. And that is, you know, for an individual, especially in the U.S., the way that the individual um, expresses their own Uh, value and their own power is through their labor. Mm -hmm. And if that ability to, to contribute that value and participate from a, from a place of power is taken away, what, what does that imply for our government? What does that imply for who pays for things? What does that imply to the value um, to the value of our currency, all of those questions now become a part of the conversation. And it's, it's, it's much more complex than I can capture in a short time. Mm -hmm. But those are some of the questions that ultimately came from the, the questions and answers that I had in the book. It's like, okay, now that, now that my labor has been replaced, what about my political influence? Mm. Wow. Big, heavy questions there. You know, but I I think that another relief like I'm hearing from you is also from reading the book is that, um, well, I mean, and also just from my psychological background is that change is difficult uh, and can be painful and we can move through it and we will adapt. Like you were just talking about, we do evolve as humans. And so we will figure out some, some answers to this. It's not like it's over. Um, well, I have so, a personal anecdote on that if you want it. Sure. <laughs> in 1983, I was in college and I was a music major. And at, at that time, even while I was in college, I was able to make a lot of money as a musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to get recording sessions and do a lot of, you know, performing and things like that, both on weeknights and weekends. Mm-hmm. And I was able to make a pretty for that time, I was able to make a very comfortable living, even as a college student. Mm-hmm. When I graduated from college, I, I found it a little bit more difficult to maintain. I was married and there were other factors that, that got in the way of that. But the other thing that had happened was that in 1983, I attended a demonstration of a new technology called MIDI. 
MIDI was the ability to connect synthesizers together mm -hmm. with computers and one person could have literally an entire orchestra at their fingertips and then some. Mm -hmm. Now the, the original MIDI music was really flat. And it's like, if you go back and listen to pretty much any eighties recording, you're going to hear it. Right. It's like, yeah, you know, there's just this kind of lifeless sound yeah. that is all really hyper compressed mm -hmm. and just doesn't have much dynamic sense to it. So that was the first wave of it. But as the technology improved over the next few years, mm -hmm. it got even more and more um, effective at, at musical expression. So what started to happen in the industry was when I was in college, one of the ways that I made money was playing recording sessions for commercial jingles, mm -hmm. song demos. Um, I worked for a church music company playing for choir music and choir mm -hmm. music arrangements and stuff like that. It was not, it was not great music by any stretch of the imagination, but it was $108 an hour because I was a union member. Oh yeah. And that, that's a lot of money. I could yeah. work two or three days a week and be comfortable yeah. mm -hmm. and then play gigs as I wanted to. I didn't, you know, I could, I could be more selective about my gigs at that point. So when MIDI came on the scene, it was a period of about three to five years. And the town that I lived in at that time was about 60,000 people in central Indiana. And in that area of maybe a hundred thousand people, there were 10 active recording studios that were, that were open pretty much around the clock. And you could always find a session to play and make money. Mm -hmm. Within three to five years of MIDI being introduced, probably all but two of those studios had closed down right. and the sessions now were being handled by one person instead of by a band. Right. So that was the first wave of technology replacing human labor, right? In my life. Yeah. The other thing that started to happen was toward the end of the eighties and into the early nineties, live bands started to be replaced by DJs. And the DJs had the technology that they could have thousands of songs at their fingertips right. because they were able to to load them up on a computer and play them from there. And then that was another wave that disrupted, you know, live music and, and live musicians careers. Right. The next wave that hit was in 1996. There were two things that happened. The music industry was, or the, the broadcast industry was consolidated and Bill Clinton signed into law and uh, a law that allowed broadcast companies to take on as many outlets as they wanted rather than put a limit on it. And that was the birth of Clear Channel, which is now iHeartRadio. Mm -hmm. And they quickly bought up hundreds of broadcast channels and then centralized the broadcasting. So we had one playlist now that was being played on. 800 stations instead right. of 800 mm -hmm. different playlists that included local and regional music. Right. The other thing that developed that year was Napster. And right around that same time, the iPod was introduced. Okay. So those technologies came along and all of a sudden add to that, the fact that musicians could make music in their home. Now, right. I could buy it at that time. I remember buying my first, computer recording setup. And I bought a really nice microphone, a really nice interface 
and and the latest software and i paid about three thousand dollars and the computer you know was was pretty expensive as well so for under five thousand dollars i had a, a professional level recording set up in my home well all of a sudden there's just music everywhere and so the value of music plummeted mm-hmm. but a and, huge the, shift. Yeah. and the curation of music was centralized on radio mm-hmm. so that there weren't any opportunities so what i've seen happen is that these technological advances as far as music is concerned have have basically wiped out an entire class of musicians and made it difficult for them to actually make a living at their craft and so you have a lot of really mediocre music in the marketplace and you have no way to sort it out mm-hmm. and you have a, a really small group of people who are making most of the money right and i think that that's what we can look at as a model for the future of technology is that as jobs are replaced and as opportunities are replaced there are going to be fewer and fewer people who are able to make money at it and they're going to be the ones who own the technology okay so that is a little bit of a gloom and doom <laughs> well it's it's a new set of circumstances that we're going to have to adapt to and so where have all the musicians gone i guess is the question well a lot of them are coaches now strangely enough yeah <laughs> yeah no i mean you've shifted your business model yeah. um yeah um and yeah so i guess that will be you know retraining but in some ways it's very disappointing because you're not doing as much of what you love in in the musician sense but you're doing other things and then it becomes uh music you know music becomes more of a hobby rather than a paid gig i'm imagining i'm not saying for your particular uh situation here but for people who aren't getting paid for that yeah um yet there seem to be a lot of people who i mean it's opened up the the channels for people to like you said maybe it's mediocre mu- uh, music but yeah. there's like a, a ton of people out there who now have uh music even on you know spotify or anywhere you know wherever music is is played (laughs) it's easy to get music online period it's there are there are 150 ways to do it you know Mm -hmm. and every place that you turn there are people that are putting their music up online i think that's great you know from from a creative standpoint i think that's really wonderful Mm -hmm. that i can have a direct line to my audience right the ability to reach a wider audience i don't think is as easy as it once was mm-hmm. but i can still i can still reach my audience that i've developed over the years mm-hmm. i can still reach them with new music that i create and if they want to support that by buying it that's great too mm-hmm. but i can't hang my hat on it as far as making a complete living in that area um so that's the thing and, and uh, i i chose this year to retire from performing right um, i know and yeah. a big a big contributor to that was i was making less now for performing than i did when i first started in 1979 yeah so it's like and I'm, my cost of living is now eight times higher than, <laughs> right. higher than it was back then you know right i can't afford the house and i can't afford the car from performing in clubs and bars and breweries. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. I mean, so 
uh, that is a reality. I think that is really worth paying attention to here that uh, there are jobs, as you're saying, and certain functions or, you know, categories of work that are going to be replaced yeah. or eliminated uh, or made uh, so, uh, uh, you know, unlucrative to be a part of that um, people will have to adjust and do other things as a result yeah. of the of any technology in particular as the topic of today is AI. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And again, I'm not going to be all doom and gloom because I think there are a lot of unknowns. And one of the unknowns is, you know, when we are faced with these new circumstances, how will our creativity kick into gear and find new opportunities for us to, you know, to not only integrate the technology, but to thrive with it instead of, instead of being, you know, instead of languishing. I'd really love to see what we can put our heads together and do. There are a lot of things that I'm really, really intrigued by. I think that, mm-hmm. I think that AI is going to show us things about human consciousness as it becomes more intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, that we, we don't have the ability to understand right now. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to be finding and, and exploring human consciousness in ways that we've never been able to before. That yeah. to me is really exciting. Well, let me give an example there of you. I mm-hmm. mean, you had also mentioned like on a real positive note of the AI that one of your sort of lifelong dreams was to publish a book, mm-hmm. right? And here you did it in like minutes or hours. I don't know how long it took you to actually have this conversation uh, and record the answers and then put it all together. But it was so much uh, quicker. And like you said, the reason that you weren't going to publish the book is because it was just too much time to create it, to write it originally. And so not only uh, did you actually get to achieve one of your dreams, but you got to sort of have this experience, uh, this immersive experience in the process. Uh, So, and that to me is like your creativity, to the max, right? Just pulling it into a new idea, like, hey, I could actually create a book out of this, as opposed to your creativity channeled as musician, but yeah. you're still having that creativity in, in very new ways. And it was as satisfying for you. I mean, maybe uh, it would have been more satisfying for you to actually write the entire book from page, you know, beginning to end, I, but you, I would certainly feel more invested in it. <laughs> right. It was, that would be a different satisfaction, but this was satisfying in a whole new way, like an experiment. I mean, this was just very creative to do. Yeah. So the fact that I have an artifact. Oh, like, yes. With, with my name and picture on it. And yes. with, with the, the, the thing that I designed on the cover, that, that is actually very satisfying. Yes. And okay. I've wanted to write a book for a very long time and mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if I have ADHD or some kind of a, an attention challenge, but anything that requires a long commitment is difficult for me to to follow okay. through with. Mm-hmm. My CD took two and a half years to make, and I'll never make another CD again <laughs> because that was that was tedious and yeah. it was god awful. And it was like, oh my god, the fun parts were like, okay, I got to play the guitar, I got to sing, mm-hmm. and I got to have the party at the end. Yeah. The the rest of it, I just assume not ever go through again. Mm-hmm. And I found the same when I tried to write books before. It's like I would reach a point where I had to stop and I just never, I never would come back to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this is, this does feel in, in a way like hmm. 
a check mark on my on my lifelong dreams, you know. And it also proved to me that writing a book isn't as daunting as I once treated it. And publishing the book on Amazon was just a breeze. So mm-hmm. the the interview with Chat GPT took less than two hours. I had a manuscript at the end. I wrote an intro and a and a conclusion. I made the cover. And I started the process of putting the manuscript together uh, and formatting it for, for Amazon. I didn't want to do any other publishing on this, so I just did it through Amazon Kindle mm-hmm. Direct Publishing. Um, so the from the time of having the idea to the time of having a published book was six days. Oh, gosh, that's painful as a book author myself. Wow, well, six I know. Days. I just think about what you just went through with the book that you just published, right? I know, like years, yeah, interesting. So I think the processes are going to be streamlined pretty significantly. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm excited about the fact that now I have ideas for how I can do my next book. And it will be one that I'm a lot more emotionally invested in. Mm-hmm. But I have ideas about how I can do the process that won't bog me down because the AI makes it easier. Wow. I, I want to make sure to get a plug-in for your book. Straight okay. from the bot's mouth. A conversation with Chat GPT about artificial intelligence. Yeah, it is hot off the press. Yeah, uh, from Amazon, and it's on Kindle and Audible's. Can you get it? Uh, not yet. I'm going to be doing okay. an Audible version. Okay. Uh, sometime in the next uh, month. Okay. I, I, I'll be curious to hear what voice. <laughs> uh, it'll be my voice. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. The informational <laughs> voice of the creative. I'll actually try to warm it up from what Chat GPT sounds like in print. Yeah. Um, well, I think this is really important, um, to, for people to go out and, and get it because again, like you said, I talk about just a, uh, a shortcut to going through and getting an account, asking all the questions, reading it all the book has it all there. And the experience of reading it will give you the real experience of going with chat GPT or Bing or one of the other ones. I mean, just yeah. the, the idea of the chat bot, right? Um, I've done it, uh, been in, in the AI, you know, chats and it's very similar to what's in the book. I mean, right. You just, you type in a question and you get a response and, uh, but the, the questions that you laid out, I think are some of the really big ones that we've all been asking and it goes into more than what we've just talked about today. I mean, it goes into society, it goes into all sorts of stuff. Right. And, um, and I think that the answers are really interesting and, and worth reading uh, both just to to hear from like what information the AI pulled from, but also um, what it came up with on its own, you know, as, as the yeah. chat. Yeah. Well, thanks, Joni, for that. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure also to get a plug in for your, your own podcast. I mean, you, you, what else do you do and where else can people reach you to hear more from you? Cause this is so cool. interesting. Oh, I have a blog at franklintaggart.com. Mm-hmm. I have a podcast called Your Own Best Company, and Your Own Best Company features both interviews and and solo shows of uh, things that are relevant to people who love working alone. Um, and I also, um, I just, I love uh, finding interesting ways to collaborate mm-hmm. uh, with other people, and podcasting has been one of them that I found very rewarding. I also... Um, I just want to, I want to make sure that people understand. I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary for, for us to be horrified or terrified 
about AI, it is inevitable and it's here. Mm -hmm. And I think more than anything else, um, educate yourself and experience it for yourself so that you can have, um, you can have knowledgeable conversations about it as we go, because that's really going to be the important thing to happen is that we just have to be able to talk about it in a knowledgeable way from experience. And then I think we're going to be able to come together and find some ways for it to really benefit humanity. Excellent. Yeah. That's a nice positive note to leave it on. And, and reading the book is, is certainly a way of, of beginning that journey of becoming yeah. knowledgeable. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is that you also are a guest on a lot of podcasts. So if, if, you know, yeah. if people are just uh, searching your name or asking the, the, the AI where to find you, um, people should be able to find you in, in your own best company as well as, and reinventing nerds as well as elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I'd love to continue this conversation. And I, I'm sure we will just you and I, but I think our listeners probably, uh, want to wrap it up and, and yeah. viewers. So, uh, thanks, Franklin. Thank you so much. And, um, uh, people can reach out to you if they want to get engaged in a dialogue with you about it as well. Right. In the way you just said, franklintaggart.com. So, yeah. um, we'll have all the info in the show notes for people. I invite anybody who's, who's struggling with what do they do now? Uh, let's have a conversation um, because, I, like I said, it's not all doom and gloom. We've just got to find a way for you to adapt what you're doing in your business and in your career to account for the new possibilities. Well, thanks. Thanks, Franklin. And thanks to all our viewers and listeners. Come back to reinventingnerds.com and subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.